You're listening to the First Corinthians When Immaturity Meets Worldliness series preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your gifts to us. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. Your faithfulness is new every morning. We thank you we can gather together and bless your name because you and you alone are worthy. Lord, wake us up from our apathy. Lord, help your people to know you in a real and intimate way. Father, I pray that the time we spend now in your word and this proclamation of truth would grip our hearts and our souls. Lord, there is nothing that can be said by a man, by any human being, to change the hearts of anyone. And Lord, I acknowledge that this morning. And so, Spirit of God, we beg you, please, meet with us this morning. We thank you for what we will see through the gospel. We've sung it already. We'll see it in baptism. But Lord, we need you now. We, we need to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd empower the word. I pray you'd bless. Jesus, be exalted. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There's this false dichotomy at times between what we think of theology and practicality. Sometimes we look at the Word of God or we hear a sermon and we say, well, that was so theologically deep, but it means nothing to me. Um, It wasn't practical. But there's a problem with that because true theology is to be worked out practically in our lives. And when you and I as believers this morning... Uh, get a hold of the deep, transcendent Word of God, the truths that we find in Scripture. When we know them, when we understand them, when they ruminate within our hearts and minds, when we bask in their glory, their impact should change our lives. This morning, like every week, when we hear the Word of God, there should be a truth that we, we, we see, we reflect upon, we get a hold of, And then we should try to work that truth out in our lives in a practical way. Not just, oh, that was good for Sunday, but for every day. And I'm fearful that in our churches, to escape the error of salvation by works, and just so that you know, that's an error. Too many places talking about how you can be saved or be born again or make it to heaven if you just do good, if you do right. And my friend, that's the furthest thing from the truth. There are some folks that you really believe that if you just do your best, if you're religious enough, if you are um, good enough in your community and you do good works or you're baptized enough, that somehow, some way, you're going to be okay. And my friend, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You will never find that in Scripture. There is no salvation by us meriting it by our works. It's impossible. Uh, Let's just pretend that from this moment forward we could be perfect, which none of us can. We still have to pay for the sins of the past. And all of our righteousnesses, Isaiah tells us, are as filthy rags. The problem is that you will not be the judge of yourself someday. We like to believe that we are, and we will be. 
But someday all of us will stand before a holy, righteous God, and He will judge us in accordance to His standard, not your standard. And I'm telling you something this morning. We are totally opposed. We hate the idea of salvation by works because it does not exist. It is a false hope this morning. There's nothing we can do to merit God's favor, His mercy, and His grace. The songwriter had it right when he said, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in Thee. Let the water and the blood from my wounded side which flowed be for sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And that's the truth this morning. And, and we are against a salvation by works. But I feel so many times that as we've, as we've made our stance there, we have fallen into an, the, an opposite mistake, which is salvation without obedience. And somehow we think we can show up in church week after week and hear the truth of Scripture and hear the, the, the magnificence of our God. And we, we give a mental assent to that and say, yes, that's true. But we leave here and it never, ever changes us. I want you to know something this morning. The Bible knows nothing of salvation apart from obedience. And so keep that in mind as we work our way through the book of Corinthians, as we work our way through the Word of God, that theology is practical. It should be worked out. And here in 1 Corinthians 7 now, we see the outworking of practical theology in real time. Real time. Uh, it's, it's amazing today. We have cameras everywhere. Everywhere. I, I just saw a clip on YouTube the other night. A guy took a drone and flew it into a fireworks display. It was really cool to see things exploding right in front of you. I have different ideas about drones, but that was kind of cool. All right? We have cameras everywhere. You've seen military units uh, have a camera on their Kevlar helmet saying, we're going to do this in real time. And this is what Paul is doing for us now in chapter 7. He's going to take theological truth, and now we're going to see it lived out in real time. And so if you recall, chapter 7, the Corinthians are corresponding with Paul. They're talking back and forth. They've got some issues. There's some confusion. They're confused about relationships, about marriage, about intimacy. They're messed up about singleness and celibacy. And something's going on in, this, in the city or in the church of Corinth now that is at least what Paul calls great distress, equivalent to the book of Luke when Jesus talks about the end times. And so either they're confused with all these things and there is a problem in the church, there is famine in the land, remember the grain shortages going on this time, or there's persecution. And so Paul now is going to take all these things into consideration and work his way through some very complicated and personal topics. Look at verse 29 of our text this morning. And I want you to notice first the, the, the spiritual truth that Paul gives us before he lays these practical aspects out in our life. Verse 29, 
But I say unto you, brethren, the time is short. We talked about that last week. We're not sure exactly what he means, but he means either the time is short, you're going to die soon. The time is short, um, Jesus could come back. The, the time is short, eternity is long. He may mean all three of those things, but he says the time is short. And then jump down to verse 31. At the very end of that verse, we find this statement. For the fashion of this world is passing away. And so Paul now is about to tell us about the practical aspects of our life, but he wants us to remember, first and foremost, this truth that eternity is looming. Eternity is coming for all of us. And the problem with humanity, not just believers, but those who are lost as well, is, is we sort of know this in our heads, but we do not believe it and act upon this truth. We put all of our stock in this transient world. And my friend, listen to me this morning, all is passing away. All of it. All that we see, we know, we touch, we feel, we under... It is all passing away, and you and I this morning are passing away. Eternity's looming. Do you think about eternity? I mean, really think about eternity. I have to be honest with you. Eternity blows my mind. Eternity troubles me. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And some of you right now are like, I don't want to hear it. All right? That's how we live our lives. As if doing this is going to make a difference. Eternity is looming. And in light of that, it ought to change us. We ought not just sit back and, oh, yeah, eternity, schmernity, who cares? We're all passing away. And you and I are passing away. And a couple hundred years from now, no one will even know your name. You, you think I'm joking? Can anyone here tell me your great, 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 great grandfather's first name? Can someone tell me that? Maybe you can. No one? No one's on, like, you know, the dot-com thing? Genealogy.com or whatever it is? Anybody know? You do? Carol? You know your great, great five generations back? What was his name? What was it? I can't prove that. You can't either. All right. William. All right. Adrian, you know? I think you're both lying. All right. No. But the truth is, they could know that. I'm glad you do. Most of us have no idea. Most of us could not tell our great, great, great grandfather's first name. Now, some of you are smugger. I know it. Okay. But you get the point? There's coming a day when no one will know it. Eternity, Paul says, is looming. We are passing away. And we look at this world as if it's permanent. And it's not. And we innately know as we watch this world pass away that it's broken. 
something is wrong with this world. And yet we try to fill that brokenness with stuff, relationships, things that we think are going to last. And the truth is, it's empty. It cannot satisfy. We try to satisfy our brokenness inside with things from the outside. It will not work. And Paul says, I need you to know something. As we work our way through relationships, through marriage, through singleness, through intimacy, through celibacy, this is all passing away. And then he gives great hope because he, there's another eternal truth he talks about here in this text we talked about two weeks ago. The believer has been purchased. The brokenness of this world has been rectified through Jesus Christ. And he will make all things new. And he is the one who died for me. He died for you. The wrath of God was poured upon his head so that all those who repent and believe can have eternal life through faith in him. And so Paul gives us these truths, and the idea is that as we think of them, they should affect our lives. When the believer thinks of eternity and really gets a hold of that, and that life is passing, all things are passing, when we think about being purchased, that Jesus Christ died, was crucified, an excruciating, horrific death, the wrath of God was poured on his head for me, these truths should not just stay here. They should move us. They should change us. That's why the church of Jesus Christ should be different from the world. Our ideas about what's important, what matters, about marriage and divorce and singleness and fornication and greed and lust, it should be different. That's what Paul's talking about. And so now as we work our way through, in light of this truth, Paul is going to take the situation of Corinth now. And in love for these people, he's going to walk them through now in real time relationships. Okay? We won't look at all the scriptures, but I want you to know something. Paul does an amazing thing there. Here, you, you see his pastoral heart. You, you see that he really loves these people. You're going to see that he cares for them. And in caring for them, he wants them to know the truth. He wants them to know reality. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He tells them truth because he loves them in light of what he knows about his God and their standing in him. Just to prove this to you, in verse 25, he says, I give you my judgment. I'm going to give you my advice. In verse 26, he says, this is good. This is good for you during this present time. In verse 28, he says, I spare you. I don't want to make it difficult for you. Verse 29, he says, the time is short. Verse 32, without carefulness. I don't want you to be anxious or full of anxiety. Verse 35, this is for your profit. I don't want to be a snare to you. Make it difficult to put a noose around your neck. And this is comely. It's, it's noble. It's right. It is honorable. And so Paul is going to take this truth in this situation and he is going to spiritually guide believers now in these areas of relationship in real time. And I want you to understand something. As we go through this this morning as, and as we talk this morning, and I say we, you know, I'm doing the talking, but you're hopefully listening. As we go through this this morning, I want you to know that Paul's desire for this church is for them to know God, to love God, to please Him, 
and to have a life that's different. And I have to say this morning, that's the desire of every pastor who loves the Lord and loves his people. And so here we go. We're going to look at Pastor Paul now in this situation talking to believers. And if you can this morning, and maybe you can't, maybe my imagination is too whacked out, but I, I just picture Paul maybe, I know he's corresponding with these folks, but I picture the conversations we're about to have taking place around a cup of coffee. If Paul had Tim Hortons, I think he'd be there. I, I know he'd be there. He'd be addicted. He'd be back there with a, a beautiful 4x4. Four four, okay? That's, yeah, I know. It's sugar and cream with a touch of coffee, but I, I love it. I, I have to, it keeps me going. That's why you wonder why I'm doing this all the time. That's why. But, but it's almost like Paul is sitting down saying, Church, let's have a coffee. Let's just talk. Let me be honest with you. Let me tell you the truth. I love you. Let's just let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's just, let's just deal with this stuff in a way that's right and spiritual and godly. And so this morning, let's just pretend we all have a cup of coffee. You shouldn't have one in the auditorium. If you do, you're in trouble. All right? Amen. Oh, that's, that's good, I guess. <laughs> Someone's in trouble. Amen. All right. We're good. All right. But let's just pretend we have a cup of coffee. We're sitting down now, and we're just going to talk honestly, honestly, about relationships from a biblical perspective. Look, if you would, at verse number 29 this morning. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have Wives be as though they have none. Oh, you know, I, I messed that up. Verse 28 is what I want. Sorry about that. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin, someone who's engaged, marries, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. So Paul says, remember who you are. Remember this truth about eternity you purchased. But now, let's get down to the bare bones now. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Here we go. I have a truth for you that you need to know that marriage has problems. Now, there's not a married person in this room who is not under their breath saying, Amen. <laughs> hey, amen, brother. Right. Marriage has problems. And, and listen, Remember, this is not the definitive work on marriage. We know that God has given marriage. We know the beauties and the blessings of marriage. We know the gloriousness of, of the, the symbol of Christ and his church. But Paul is being just, this is a fact now. This is a fact, y'all. All right, this is a deal. Here's what he's saying. Marriage can have problems. And he's telling this church, get rid of the rose-colored glasses about marriage, and let's just be honest. Let's be honest. To be honest this morning, remember having a cup of coffee, it's sort of laid back, casual, no one's, let's be honest. Marriage has its problems. It's real life. Think about it. And some of you who experienced this, you know this, others you will, maybe you won't, but here's the deal. You are taking two lives, two separate lives, different ideas, different values, different upbringings, um, different issues that they've got to work out, like if you eat macaroni and cheese with a spoon or a fork, these, these very troubling issues that we've got to figure this out. 
and you're taking these two lives. One is a life from Beverly Hills, and the other is a life from the Beverly Hillbillies. Right? And all of a sudden, you're going to mesh these two lives together. Can I tell you something? That is never a smooth transition. That is a collision. And Paul understands that. It's real life. And the truth is, you can and will have trouble in marriage. Marriage can be raw. I was just thinking the other day that we have now celebrated, we're going on our 14th year of ministry here. July 1st with our, oh, you, you don't have to clap, but thank you. One person is glad. The rest of you, I, I, I know, okay? I know. Thank you, Mary. 14 years, and, and it's, it's an amazing thing, honestly. There are people in this church that I love like my family. 14 years, they, they're family to me. And there are others who have come over the last couple of years, and it's like, oh my goodness, we, we have this, this bond together. We just sort of just picked up, and it's like, this is family. And, and we have a relationship. It's, it's, what we, it's called doing church. It's community. And so, so many folks have a bad idea about church. It's not showing up on Sunday and doing your time. It's community. It's doing life together. That's, that's church. And, and in this, this process, we get... Um, we grow and we have these strong, vibrant relationships, and sometimes people get hurt. There, there are people in this church that, that I know I've hurt them. I, I can see the times and places and things I said that were hurtful to them. I've done that over 14 years. I probably did it last week. And there are people in this church who have hurt me. And, and that happens. It's, it's relationship. And there are people in this church I love dearly that I, I, I think to myself, when they finally leave this planet, I will be devastated. There are believers in this church that I don't want them to die. Now, there are others I'm not so sure about. <laughs> just being honest, remember the cup of coffee? We're just telling it like it is. But can I tell you something? As much as there have been folks who have hurt me or I've hurt them, there is nobody in this church, nobody, who can hurt me like that woman. And that's my wife. Nobody. And there's no one that can hurt her like me, right? We are vulnerable. We're open. I mean, we, we know where to attack. We know the weak points. We know, like, you're just like your, right? And that's what marriage is like. Our actions and our words can be devastating. You can have trouble in your flesh. Not only that, but marriage is work. It's work. And, and listen, let's just be honest. I mean, it's like, well, I just want to be happy. Karen, you complete me. You, you're everything to me. Again, no one will ever complete you because only Jesus Christ can. Okay. And, and you put in all your stock in this person, this man of your dreams, this Casanova, this, I don't know what you call him, I don't know. This is it. This guy here. He won't do it, girls. This is a woman of my dreams, and she will fulfill every need I have. She will not do it. She won't. She can't. No one can. And the truth is, marriage wasn't designed just to make you happy. There is joy in it. But marriage was designed to make God's people holy. Marriage is like a full-length mirror. 
when, when you're by yourself, you can hide a lot of things, like your moodiness, your selfishness, your self-loathing. But when you're married now, there's a full-length mirror that you're looking at night and day. And God has designed it that way so that we can find real change in our lives. That's the purpose. And for some of you folks, the reason your marriage is so difficult is because after 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, because of your arrogance as things are exposed in your life, your selfishness, your greed, your lust, your self-pity, your biggest cake, that's mine, idea, and it's revealed over and over again, you, instead of acknowledging it and making changes, you're full of arrogance and pride, and you, you're a victim. Making excuses. It's everybody else's fault. Can I tell you something? This is just, again, just let's talk a little bit. That's nauseating. That's sick. It, it can't be everybody else all the time. It's always their fault. No, you're part of the equation. And so Paul says, listen to me. I want you to know something. Marriage can be work. It can be hard. And it's true. Not only that, look at verses 34 through 35. Verse 34. And here he's going to talk now about marriage and singleness, okay? There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. And just that you know, he's not talking here that if there's a sexual relationship between a husband and wife, that that's not spiritual. The phrase here simply means that this, this single woman, this single man, can give themselves wholly devoted to God. Okay, nothing about intimacy there. But that she, but she that is married, careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, again, this is for you, not that I may cast a snare upon you or a noose around your neck, but for that which is comely or appropriate or proper, and that ye may attend unto the Lord without distraction. So, two things here quickly about marriage. Maybe one is a little more subtle. But not only can marriage have its problems, but marriage is designed to please the other person. He says, a wife cares for the needs of her husband, how she can please him, and vice versa. Can I tell you something? When you're married, it is no longer about you. Period. And if you think it is, you are in for a miserable existence in your married life. It's not about you. It becomes about the other person, pleasing them. Demands and responsibilities that cannot be neglected. Men, listen to me. When you're married, you're no longer a little boy. Nothing wrong with playing games. We play soccer on Sunday nights, it's great. We play other games that we have, fine. I mean, if you're, if you're into Clash of the Clans, all right, or 2048, wonderful, no big deal. But if your life as a married man is consumed by those things, you are a boy, and you're in trouble. You didn't get married to hang out with all your buddies and to leave your family. Well, you just drive me crazy. Yeah, but that's your problem. You've got to deal with it. You've got to make it right. You've got to be a man. Ladies, when you got married, it's no longer about you. 
the pouting little princess. Don't look at your wife now. Don't do it. Don't. I, I told you. You're not this, it's not that they're here to please me. Paul understands that in this unity of becoming one, I look to please the other person. And so he's saying, well, if I did that, I would be taken advantage of. Yes, you will. Period. It, you're going to. It's called life. Kim and I had a conversation the other day about humanity. And she said something along this effect. Is it too much to think and believe that human beings will just do right? And I said, yes. That's not even theologically sound. Human beings are stupid. All of us are sinful. All of us. And so, listen, when we get married, I don't even know what I was saying, but that, that, that conversation, what was I saying before that? Do you know? Was anyone listening? Okay, never mind. To please the other person. Thank you, Joanne. She has to listen. She's sitting right here. Okay? There, there's no dying to self. None. We want our way. And Paul says, wait a minute. It, it's about pleasing the other person. And he said, I'm going to take, I got where I'm at. I'll take advantage of, someone's going to use me. It's not going to be right. But listen to me. When the believer, the man, the woman, understands that their job is to please the other person, and they're consumed with doing that, can I tell you something? It is the closest thing to heaven on earth. It is. And so Paul says, marriage can have problems. Marriage is to please others. And then watch this. He says, marriage changes our perspective. He says, the married person thinks about how they need to please her husband, not the Lord at first. And he's not saying we don't please the Lord because the fact is, all of family life is worship. It is. But our perspective starts to change, doesn't it? I mean, now we have a spouse. And now our mind should go toward home. When I first came here, um, over 13 years ago now, I remember the meeting I had with Sam and Bob and one other man. And, and one of the things I said was, I said, listen, I, I, need, I need to continue my education. It's important. I'm not very smart. I need to take care of that. And I need to be preached to. So I, if I could go to three conferences a year to be preached to, it would help me. And they thought it was a great idea. They, they agreed. And so we go to three conferences a year. Never. Probably two a year. But I can remember when Dan came here. I, I don't think Dan's in the auditorium, so I can talk about him now. So I remember when Dan came here. And, and he, he, he looked like he was 15, him and Tara, right? They're just kids, about nine years ago. And I remember one of the first times we were going to go to a conference together. We were going to leave on a Monday. And you know Dan has that cheesy smile all the time, like he's high, right? He, um, he's not. Um, but... He's just really excited about things. I mean, he, he, was, he was beaming from ear to ear. It's like, we're at this conference, and he's so excited, and everything's great. And so I get there, and it's like, you know, we're there for the first session. And about midway through, I'm saying, Dan, I want to go home. And it wasn't the conference was bad. It's just, I'm really weird like that. I just want to go home. I want to be with my family. I want to be my kids. I mean, that's great, and I did need this, but... I just want to go home. And he was always disappointed. We were always going home. It's like, he wasn't smiling anymore. Right? We change. Our, our, our perspective changes. And, and we start caring about things like food and clothing and diapers. We, we, I even start 
thinking now about my own life. I used to love roller coasters, still like them, but I think, do I really want to die and leave my family fatherless because I was on a roller coaster? It's weird. Lightfoot said this, a man who is a hero in himself becomes a coward when he thinks of his widowed wife and his, his orphan children. And it's true. And so Paul's just saying the fact, listen, marriage can have problems, right? It can. It, and it does. Marriage is to please other people, the other person. And it changes our perspective. And so think about that and understand that. Let's move on now. Verse number 35 and 34. We read it. Oh, my goodness. It's already 12 o'clock. Okay. Let me talk about singleness just for a minute. And we'll pick this up. I, I hate this. I really want to spend a lot of time on this. All right. Because now he's talking about singleness in the same text. Okay. And, and let me just say a couple things um, before I stop. Because I, I want to say them. Um, and again, Paul is not talking here about one has an advantage and one doesn't, one has a disadvantage and one... No, he's stating the facts. Singleness. We have single adults in our church. And, and I know there are different problems that they face. Paul acknowledges them here. We'll talk about some of them. But I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about what I think one of the biggest troubles that our singles have is the idea of being lonely. I want to go home. I go home with my wife and my kids. My daughter-in-law, well, not really go home to that, but when they're visiting, I do, right? And I'm home. It's different for a single adult. It, it's not like that. And so there's this temptation, I'm sure always, not always, but often, I'm lonely. I'm lonely. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I try to get that. I want to get that. But now in 24 years of ministry, let me, let me give you a, a precaution here. There are too many Christian singles who because they feel lonely, just want to jump into a relationship because they want somebody. Listen to me now. Remember having a coffee together? I love you. I'm talking to you. Okay. Don't do that. There are things in this life worse than being lonely. And it's being in a relationship with an idiot for the rest of your life. And, and by what I'm seeing in the audience, there are folks who say, Pastor, you're exactly right. Don't, don't just jump and say, i just I got to have somebody. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Now listen, if you're one of the individuals here and you're shaking your head and you're married and you think, yeah, I got the idiot right next to me, then, then we need to talk a little bit, okay? Um, because if you're a believer, we should be able to fix that. Quit being an idiot and love each other and be right, okay? It's, it's not that complicated, right? I, I think I'm going to be talking to some of you right after the service, okay? But don't just jump into something. There, and I talk to people all the time. There are things worse than being lonely. So listen, don't just jump into a relationship. That's the whole context of this chapter. And then just quickly, and I'm sorry, because I'll, I'll pick this up next week. I don't know what happened at time, um, but it's all passing away. Remember that? It's all passing away. Remember that. When the Bible talks about singleness, the single individual is never a second-class citizen. Never. Never. And that's why we should probably devote most of our time next week to this topic. Two of the greatest Christian heroes of all time, one was our, the founder of our faith, Jesus Christ, and Paul were single. They were single. And what Paul is saying here is, there's a real advantage about being useful and being committed 
and just being sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. I talked about this last week. I just touched on this. The idea of, of marriage passing away, and in, in heaven there is no marriage, and that the single person will be, will be wed to Christ, will all be wed to Christ. I was talking to a dear sister the other day, and she said, when you talk about that truth about being the, the bride of Christ, it, that resonates with me, and I need to hear that and understand that, and it's true. If you're single today, don't lose fact of, of, of this truth that Jesus Christ is your husband. He is your partner. He, he will provide. He will care for. He will take care of. There's an intimacy there like none other. You can't lose sight of those things. It's true. It's true. The bride of Christ. I've talked to men and women who understand that and know that and have experienced that. It's powerful. We must go back to the beauty of who Christ is. Because when all these other relationships are passing away, that one never does. It never does. And then just to throw this out, um, that's the church as well. Jesus is talking to disciples, and, and they're saying, you know, what do we get out of this deal? We, we've given up everything for you. And Jesus in Matthew 19 says, for all those who've given up everything, he says, you're going to have brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and a hundredfold. And that's what community is. As believers, single, married, divorced, remarried, right? We come together and then we are brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, a hundredfold. It's this community. Uh, we're going to stop there this morning. We'll get a cup of coffee again next week. Be here, same time, same spot. We'll pick up on singleness. But here's what I want you to know. The truth of Scripture there's no dichotomy here. When we find a spiritual truth, it should live its way out practically in our lives. And for all of us, whether we're married or single, it doesn't matter. These truths should change us. This book, my friend, is not archaic. It's not old-fashioned. It's not out of date. Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, as a, as a good under-shepherd, is giving practical advice. And we as believers would be wise to listen and not just listen, but to obey it. To obey it. I don't know what your condition is this morning. Maybe you're here as a guest visitor. Maybe you've been here for a while, and the salvation thing and eternity bothers you. Turn to Christ. He's the only answer. He's our only hope. It's the only thing that the church has to offer the world, is the hope that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. And if you don't understand that, we'd love to talk to you about that today. We take our time show you from the Bible what that means. And believer, for all of us this morning, let's leave this place in light of these two truths. We are purchased. Eternity is coming. Therefore, it should impact all of our relationships. Whether we're married or single or engaged, it should impact all of them. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. As we're getting ready to pray, we're getting ready for our baptism service. So I'll ask Brett just to slip out. And while he's doing that, just to talk to you for a second. I don't know what your need is. But, but again, can you see the, the, the practicality of the Word of God? It, it's real time. It's where God meets us. And don't lose sight of that. It's so important. I don't know where you're at in your relationship or not in a relationship. I, I don't know. But let me say to you, wherever you are, God knows. He knows. And no matter what it is, 
good, bad, ugly, indifferent. Our God is constantly at work. And he is constantly bringing beauty from ashes. And so don't jump ahead of the plan. Don't just jump out. Don't just change your, your, your relationship or your circumstance because you want out. Paul says, wait, stop. God's doing something. He loves his people. He's got a plan and purpose. And so whatever the need is this morning, I, I just want you to, I, I do, I want you to consider what we said. By God's grace, make changes. Father, we, we love you this morning. Thank you for your word. Um, sorry I didn't get through all of this. I, there's so much here, but we don't have to rush. Lord, I pray that your, your word would be powerful. I pray that you would speak to the hearts and lives of those who are in a relationship or not, that we would, we would mirror the person of Christ. Father, speak to your people. Lord, give us hope, give us confidence, give us um, a resting in you.